Coming up on your favorite podcast, I always like it when we can bring in a new voice, somebody who uh, can just add a different perspective to our podcast. And I love the voices we have. Obviously, we've heard several people on this podcast, Zach, Ryan, Lauren, Ty, Derek, everybody. I love all the voices we get. But we get to bring in a new voice today, and I'm very excited about that. You get to hear from Allison Wanchoba. Allison is terrific. She is a former speech kid of mine, so I've known her for a long time. But she is a college graduate, film student, studied film, analyzes film now, does critiquing of it, uh, writes articles for it for Medium and all that sort of thing. So we're going to talk to her about some film stuff. Also a diehard football fan, so we're going to talk football with her as well. Her time in upstate New York, is she a Bills fan? Uh, she's got some opinions on fines and penalties and officiating and all of that good stuff. So we get to hear from her over the course of the next hour. It's going to be terrific. Hoping that we can keep her as a regular. We'll see what happens. So Allison and I, next, for the next hour on the podcast. Hey, 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 it's the Tim Anderson podcast. I'm Tim. I'm super excited for this podcast. I always like it when we get new voices on the pod, when we get a chance to talk with people with, you know, higher IQs than what are already in this room. Uh, it's always good to be joined by somebody else. So, But we're, we're excited about this one. I am because this is a kid that I have known. Now it's not a kid anymore. She's full-fledged adult, but I've known her since she was just a little kid, a little speechy, and now uh, a, a, a film uh, a, a film student. You studied film. You're a film critic, basically. Uh, you do all kinds of stuff. You record audiobooks, apparently. You do all these amazing things. Uh, joined by, of course, uh, dear friend, awesome person, Allison Wanchoba. Hey, Allison, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Now, you're a big listener, I know, so this is exciting for me to get a listener on the pod. It's proof positive. You can be on this podcast. All you got to do is uh, show up. Yes. Um, I really got into listening to this podcast, um, especially around football season, um, which we will talk about later. Um, but I mean, like football is one of those sports where it's like, you know, you have such a short window to really enjoy it. So when there's content that comes available, you just swallow it up, swallow it up. Because I mean, when it's gone, it's gone, it feels. Zach had that same point last night on the podcast. And uh, I, I think there was some truth to that, right? That it, it, when it goes, it goes. And there's not much you can do about that. Yeah. And I know that the NFL is like trying to um, make the, you know, off season a little bit more exciting. I mean, you see Netflix's quarterback, was it quarterback or quarterbacks? I can't remember. Um, I think that, it's something that, like that. I think yeah. it's quarterback. Um, you also have like, um, you know, the draft is, um, you know, built up, exciting, all of that. They try to keep it exciting off season, but again, the proof is in, you know, the excitement is in the actual game itself, you know, and they really take advantage of that. Um, when did you become a football fan? Uh, the fact that I grew up in a house full of boys. Um, <laughs> so my dad is from from Wilmington, Delaware. So just about a half an hour outside of Philly. Philadelphia, as many people know, is a huge sports town. Um so he grew up a big Eagles fan, big Phillies fan. Um, he moved to Minnesota, oh, 
early 90s when the twins were really big doing the you know having their world series runs and all that with them so sports have always been big in our house um and I just got invested in it uh, for the sake of being with family. And, you know, I, I also want to say that of all the sports that are really popular, football, I'm a really goal-oriented person. That's how my brain works. Mm. And football is a huge goal-oriented sport. It's not like with with soccer where... You know, the excitement is getting, you know, the ball in twice in the net. It's like the goal is, yes, getting to the end zone and getting those six points and then the seventh point, um, but also getting that first down and how you get to that first down, those mini goals. That's exciting in and of itself. So you're not like that. You couldn't watch soccer, right? Because there's no immediacy to the to the results or to the goals right you like the fact that there are many goals leading to big goals in football yeah and i mean like i won't i won't put sucker down um i, will. I no, work kidding. with a lot of people overseas um i'm getting into the film industry i have some projects lined up where they want me involved in things and it's all through a british production company that i'm really involved in and, and you know nice thank you um Football, we can talk about this later, of the notion of them trying to go overseas. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I do know that there are people overseas who are trying to get into the NFL, you know, invested in it. But I think it's also one of those things where, um, firstly, um, exposure is huge uh in, in in garnering fan bases like if people are not exposed to it if you have to get up at eight in the morning or two in the morning to watch a football game you're not going to do it um and i think the same can be said about soccer over here in the u.s where it's not broadcasted as heavily yeah. Um, even if you think about like, okay, sports bars, right? Yeah, they'll show soccer here and there, but it's not the main attraction. Um, You're not going to the bar to watch a soccer game. No, no. And I mean, like, unless it's the World Cup, you know, or the Olympics. Like, and again, this is nothing against soccer. I, I mean, like, I, soccer would be, I would love to go to a soccer game like in England at Wembley. And just be in that crowd and that stadium going just bananas. But as a sport, it's not, I might be coming from an ignorant standpoint, so forgive me. It's not being <laughs> exposed as much over here in the U.S. as I think it should be. You can be and as ignorant as you want on this podcast, Allison. I don't think you've heard the podcast much. Ignorance is part of the deal here. I mean, that's what we do. Uh, let me ask you, so your, your dad was an Eagles fan. Yeah. Uh, you, but you're, you were not an athlete though, right? Like, did you play sports? I played volleyball for a year in high school. That makes uh, sense. Because I'm six foot one. And I was like, I know people are going to ask me, did you play volleyball or basketball? And I didn't do well because I am not an athletic person in that sense. I didn't grow up involved in sports. The sports went to my brothers. They were in baseball. I was the drama kid. I was doing theater. I was doing, you know, speech and all of that. But um, 
I wouldn't say that I'm not. Um, I, I did weightlifting in high school and, and a little bit in college. So I'll go that to the counts. gym. I'll I'll do that kind of stuff. I work out. Um, but again. So one year of yeah. volleyball. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, really. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. And parents never pushed you to do it, right? They just said, like, do whatever you want, even though you're this tall drink of water. Yeah. No, they didn't. Um, I did basketball when I was in elementary school very briefly. Um, it, it, it's weird. It's like it's one of those things where like if I was pushed more in a loving way, of course, like, you know, like encouraged, I guess is the better word to use. If, um, hey, let's just do one more year to try this out. You know, no one loves their first year of any sport. They just don't. Really? Um, in the grand don't you have to like it your first year to keep doing it like don't you like t-ball or whatever Um, i mean like okay i guess um if you're not always going to like it your first year but you might like it your second year or your third year i mean again case by case for my brothers they didn't love baseball when they first started um but they grew to love it and they did it for all of elementary school, most of middle school. They did hockey for a brief period of time. My parents did not push hockey though because it's so expensive. Oh, it's <laughs> expensive. And so you have twin brothers that are athletes. Uh yep. you uh so did you was there you were the older though. You're the older sister, right? Yeah. So do you mm-hmm. did they ever kind of like want to like have you join the group or did you ever feel the need to kind of you know, hang out with the brothers or that kind of thing? Or were you like, nah, I'm older. I'm older sister. I got, I got, I'm a dramatic person. I got my own things to do. I don't have time to mess with you twins, you young lads over here. I mean, I went to their, their, uh, sports games when I was growing up. I supported them in that way. But the thing about having twin brothers is that they, and I say this kindly, they kind of gang up on you. (laughs) (laughs) And they're kind of, they're kind of in their own space. Like now that we're all adults, I feel more included in their kind of world. Um, Especially now that they have fiancés and, and, you know, I'm, I'm jiving with them. Um, But growing up, it was like, Cameron always had a best friend in Eric. He didn't need Allison. He didn't need his bossy older sister, you know, to play Xbox with him. Um, so we, so they, we they, they, they beat up on you is what you're saying that they yeah. beat up on each other and then beat up on you. That was, yeah. that's when they realized they were better as a tag team. Oh. That would have been, see, that's all pro wrestling. That's how it really should work out. I mean, once you realize you're stronger as a unit, I, 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 I can't imagine you'd go anywhere else. I, I love to ask these questions because like it gives our audience a little idea of what we're dealing with. Oh, um, yes. you went to. You went to Bing- Binghamton for college in New SUNY York. SUNY Binghamton. Yep. Did um, you become a Bills fan, upstate New York? Yeah. So, um, so for context for our listeners, Binghamton is about it's on the New York Pennsylvania border. Like literally, it's fifteen minutes away from Pennsylvania. We're about an hour north of Scranton, um, and an hour south of Syracuse. Um, a lot of people from Long Island and the New York City area went to Binghamton for school, but my roommate was from a city called Fredonia, which is about 
45-ish minutes away from Buffalo proper. So he was a Bills fan. And he was like my main roommate guy in college. Um, I considered the Bills to be, you know, you have multiple sports, you know, that fa- teams that you root for. For me, it's the Vikings are number one. I'm a huge Vikings fan. I bleed purple. Um, and then it goes Eagles. And then it goes. Wow, that's that's a hard thing to like both teams. I don't know. We almost might have to make you choose at some point. You can't like the Eagles if and the, the Vikings. If at the, the same Eagles time. and Vikings play together, I'm rooting for the Vikings 100%. But um, <laughs> again, I, I, I root for the Eagles for the sake of the family aspect. Like, I again, <laughs> I have family who are from the Philadelphia area. You got to keep the peace in the family. So, I therefore, do, we I cannot. Do. But don't get me wrong. Do I think that. Um, Eagles fans are one of the fan bases of the NFL. Yes, they do. <laughs> we won't get into that. You know what I'm talking about? Um, yes, the worst. Horrible, the pits. But, but, but Bills, Bills. I, I, I follow the Bills very closely, too, though, because I have um, friends from that area that I really care about. So, yeah. So you became a Bills fan. Um, are you part of like Bill? Have you gone to a Bills game? Bills Mafia been thrown through a table? Anything like that? No, no, I haven't been to a Bills game. To be fair, though, I mean, I haven't been to a lot of football games in general live because it's it's, it's, it's too much expense. work. It's expensive. Yeah, way too um, much. I work. lived literally down the street from U.S. Bank Stadium. I live like walking distance. Um, for a period didn't go to a vikings game would have loved to but i didn't um anyway that's neither here nor there Um. (laughs) (laughs) i want to talk i definitely want to talk more football with you as we go through because you've you've gone through but you're a you're a film you're you're a film person you work in the film industry uh you've talked a little bit about that i brought you in because well number of things i think you're a pretty smart kid and I, i just always enjoy talking with you um thank you let me ask you about you wrote an article recently because you've been listening to Peak Cinema with me, Lauren, and Ryan. By the way, Allison went to school with Ryan and Lauren too. I think, or did you? Or were you before them or after them? Well, I certainly went to school with Ryan. I don't remember Lauren. Um, she was older, probably older. Yeah, she was older than you by a year or a couple years then. Yeah, she might have been up. And I out graduated of you by then. in 2014. Yeah, boy. Um, yeah, they're a little ahead of you. 2012, yeah. I think, is was was her. But anyway, you've been listening to the show, and I rail. I rail on the fact that movies are just too damn long. Uh, they're especially now. I feel like it is such a um, it's such a commitment to to go to a movie now or to sit down and watch a movie. It just takes forever. Uh, people for a long time have not joined me on this. I think I finally got Lauren to my side, and it sounds like I got you on my side. Uh, let me hear your thoughts. Yeah. So here's my gripe. Uh, first off, I am definitely a person who um, tries to be on the artist's side. I want the artist's vision to be respected. And if the vision is to make a million-year-long movie, okay, okay. But here's the thing. Um, you know, when I went to school, Binghamton's uh, film program is very much focused on experimental film. So they're not catered towards audiences or trying to, you know, get the big bucks in. It's it's literally just to see what we can do with film. 
Um, but as of late, we are seeing a trend of two and a half, three hour long movies. And by trend, I mean like, you know, when I was doing research for the article that you mentioned that it's on Medium, by the way, if you want to check it out, um, it it's like a huge, noticeable uh, increase in margin for these longer movies. Like in the past 10 years, the average length of a movie has risen by like 11 minutes. And 10 of those minutes have been in the last two years. Extremely huge, noticeable jump in the grand scheme of things. And to that end, you have to say, okay, there's a reason for this. And it's not a reason that I think is helping theaters. I don't think it's a reason that is helping the consumer. I do think it's helping streamers because they're so into viewing minutes are king in the streaming world. You know, um, the movie that really prompted that article that I talked a lot about is Killers of the Flower Moon, that new Scorsese yeah. film. And mm. I watched that in theater um, knowing prior that it was going to be like three and a half hours long. God, how do you do that? I, I, was, I could never, I can't do it. <laughs> it was too much. But I was like, well, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. Scorsese is an excellent filmmaker. It is a film I do want to see, especially being that it's um you know, it's a story that hasn't really been told. There's a book based on this movie. Um or excuse me, vice versa. The movie's based on a book. Um and it's about, you know, the Native American people, which I think is a very underrepresented uh demographic in film. So I appreciate hmm. that it was about that. It didn't need to be three and a half hours long, I can assure you. It just didn't. Um, it it I understand wanting to um pace things out to make but if you're watching the film like me and they're mentioning something that happened an hour and a half ago, and I have to be like, wait, what that happened? What? Oh yeah. Then it's too long. Enough said. <laughs> yeah, I you know, and it looked it, it occasionally it's nice to work those films in. Like you can put up with it. For example, if it was just Scorsese who did it, right? Because Goodfellas is longer. Casino's kind of a longer film. You know, he's got a, the Departed. He's got a reputation for doing longer films. But the problem yeah. is. Everybody thinks they're Scorsese right now. Everybody wants to do a two hour and 45 minute, three hour film. And it's like, I liked it better when he was like a one off. Like when like I, I got a whole bunch of 90 minute movies and then I got his. I could deal with right. that. I can't deal with it when it's everybody doing it. I think you have a point there. I mean, like the idea of I almost mentioned this, like. The fact that Scorsese's film being three and a half hours long is not this super novel thing. Like when, when Titanic came out, mm -hmm. its length was a huge talking point. Now, Scorsese's film, you know, its length is a talking point. But it's, it's more in the vein of like, really, again, do you really have to? And his response, by the way, which cracks me up because it's like, I don't think you can compare – 
He's like, well, people will watch TV for five hour binging sessions and people will go to a live theater and sit there forever. It's like, first off, those theaters have intermissions. They do. That's exactly theater it. Theater performances have intermissions. Secondly, a theater performance is incomparable to anything else. You can't go anywhere to get a theater experience. You can stay at home, though, and go on streaming to watch a movie. Um, and as far as TV, you know, these five-hour binging sessions he talks about. First off, you're getting up and you're walking around and you have the liberty to pause it. Yeah, nobody have- sits on their couch for five straight hours. Like nobody yeah. does that. They get up, they get a drink, they, you yeah. know, whatever. And the other thing too is um, five-hour binging sessions should not be rewarded. Like that's not good. <laughs> Three and a half hour long, you know, that's not good. Um but to back to your point, back to your point, like you you were saying, like if it was just Scorsese doing this, okay, fine. But eight out of the last ten Oscar Best Picture nominations of 2023, eight out of those ten were longer than two and a half hours. And this is not just my point that I'm making. I have seen that point be brought up throughout. Um you know, only two of those movies were like normal sized movies, quote unquote. Um, Banshees of Inisherin, um, which is a very digestible film, and then Women Talking, which I debate is if it were a more interesting thing they were talking about, then it would justify its length. But um, again, <laughs> truth be told, um, no, it's like you're noticing this pattern and you're facing a a time, you know, in cinema where theaters are noticeably struggling with the strike, you know, the WGA SAG after strike that For happened sure. this year, yep. um, the pandemic, which the reverberations are just still happening. People don't want to go to the theater. I haven't. Um, I've gone to two movies since I have. Yeah, yeah. So it's been hard. Yeah. There needs to be a justification. So interesting note is the And it's barb- expensive as hell. Expensive yes. as hell. Holy shit, so, what they do to you at the movie theater is insane. I went to the Iron Claw last night, which I highly well, I want to ask you about that. Oh, I'm oh, going to ask you about that. Really good. And not a gargantuanly long film, by the way. It's about, it's two hours and 12 minutes, I saw. That's I know a- how it ends. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Being a pro wrestling fan, like that story is famous as a pro wrestling fan. But I'm glad somebody like you got to hear that story. Because I'm assuming you're not a pro wrestling fan and you had an opportunity to hear about this amazing legend. Well, I heard I I knew of the story um, and I wasn't like super invested in the the characters prior, you know, like, of course, being that it's a real event, like obviously a horrible thing to happen to a family. Um, But again, it's one of those things where it's like um, there aren't a lot of wrestling movies out there. So I appreciate that they're making a film that it's not going to be just drowned out in the rest of them. Um, They really, I think they did a really good job with the wrestling scenes in that film, making you feel like you're in the ring with them. It was fantastic. Good choreography. They really sold the idea of wrestling being so performative um, yeah, Zach Efron like sold out. Like he looks great. Like he oh really gosh. looks like he could wrestle. 
Yes. And Jeremy Allen White. Fantas- oh, great cast. Great cast. And the great guy from cast. Mind, Mind Hunter. The guy from my, Mo- Holt. Oh, my gosh. Mo- yeah, he played Fritz von Erich, right? He played uh, the dad, right? Yeah. I think that's I'll who he played. Look- yeah, it's terrific. Yeah, the cast looks amazing in the film. Uh, I'm glad you saw it and you liked it. Yes. And they. they- you, you recommend it. Oh, yeah. Um, it's funny. Like, Mo- Holt McClaney. Holt McCallany. Yeah. I'm sorry if I'm butchering his name. Um, yes, I recommend they they the '80s element of it was real done. They did um, had someone go on being Ric Flair. Yeah, I don't know if you remember. They they did a good job with Ric Flair in that. <laughs> You're in my youth here. You you don't talk to me about. Are you familiar with? Yes, of course I'm familiar. That's no, my no, life, no, Allison. No, no, That's not, <laughs> no the <laughs> you way they me? did Ric Flair in the Iron yes. Claw was well done. That's what I, but no, it, it, it was great. And it was funny. At the end of the movie, you could really tell who was familiar with the Von Erich story and who wasn't. But <laughs> who was like, yeah. I didn't know it was going to be so sad. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. The kids asked me in school before we went to break, hey, Anderson, you going to go see the wrestling movie? Because they know I'm a wrestling fan a little bit. And I said, I know how it ends. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to go see it because I know how it ends. Uh, it's yeah. a tough it's a tough one to deal with for sure. Yeah. Um. Let's talk. Let's continue on the, the movie theater situation. Um. So like when I grew up, this is pre your time, because, again, you're just a just a baby um, <laughs> coming up on. Uh, 10 years removed from high school. I cannot believe that. That is blowing my mind, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, I, so I come from the camp of, I grew up with smaller mom and pop, four theater cinemas, right? Four theater, two theater, those kinds of things. Sometimes you'd get an eight theater place and you were like, holy geez, that place is gigantic. Um, then it kind of switched at the turn of the century, uh, you know, the Showplace, I just remember it all started with Showplace. They popped open in Coon Rapids just by my house. And it was mm-hmm. 16 theaters. It was this megaplex. It was stadium seating. And you were just like, oh, my God. And that became like the the that was the future of films. And everybody was like, holy crap, it's going to be gigantic for years and years. Now I feel it's too big. Now mm-hmm. I feel like the big theater experience isn't what people want you get the vibe that films could go back to being a four theater type thing down the road. Do you see it that way? Or do you think the big theaters are still here? They're going to stay around. They're always going to be a part of it. There might just be less of them. What do you see? Well, here's how I see it. Um, I think that, okay, to talk about this, I think we need to talk about movies being seen and having to be expected to be seen as these events right Mm. and they're just they're never not every film can be an event because if every film was an event then you wouldn't have events okay um that's fair now i think about this year the big event was that barbenheimer thing sensation that happened i mean like barbie getting over a billion dollars in the box office and oppenheimer you talk about long films like super that's three hours long to the dot and i could even shave off like 15 minutes a half an hour of that film and i think it would benefit um at least not be hurt but 
it still got almost a billion dollars in box office. And a large part of it was because it's not just it. It would be part of the zeitgeist to go to the theater, the theater to see these. And people are going to see Barbie, for example, multiple times in their pink outfits with their friends because to wait to go home and watch it on HBO Max. um, Excuse me, Max, whatever. um, Get it right. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, you lose that event uh, mentality. With that said, um, you know, the whole idea of these big, super expensive movies, every one of them having to be super expensive, really took off, really took off with the superhero craze. Oh, please, yeah. I think is dying down. I think especially now that that Disney Plus and and so on and so forth are putting these superhero shows on their platforms and the superhero content is like, okay, we we don't need to wait until Avengers Infinity War to get our superhero fix, our good superhero fix. We can watch, you know, whatever is on Disney Plus. Um, Like, I see superhero movies as being, like, this generation's westerns, you know? um, Western films were huge in the 50s and 60s until the point, um, we reached a point where we were just kind of sick of them. And that's when you hit the 70s, westerns and musicals. Um, People were like, okay, we're we're in Vietnam right now. We're in an economic Yeah, we're good. We don't need... (laughs) We don't, don't need, need any more of these. We don't need. So that's when you get Hollywood panicking and saying, oh, my God, we're going to go bankrupt. We have to switch it up. Fine. We'll give this kid named Scorsese a a shot. We'll give this kid George Lucas a shot, you know, and, and see where it goes from there. You go and with the gritty re- cheap to make movies, like the gritty cop movies of the 70s, like Pacino's and Dog Day yeah. Afternoon or Serpico and – you get some of that stuff where it's like, man, we made that movie for $500,000. You know, we just did, we talked to Warriors on Peak Cinema. Same thing, right? That's a major studio releasing a movie that looked like it got made for, you know, a six pack of Coors. You know, yeah. it, it <laughs> didn't cost them anything to make that movie and they made money off of it. And that's where it's kind of interesting. Keep going though. I love that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, from an economic production standpoint, I think that Hollywood is going to back away from the super gargantuan. They're learning, um, too, that you don't need to be exorbitantly expensive to get your cat. Think about horror movies, right? The Blumhouse productions. Um, yeah. Now, those are certainly formulaic. I'm not going to argue on that point, but they are cheap to make. And There's nothing they wrong with do- formulaic. Nothing, well, nothing wrong, but um, if they're cheap to make and they get a big return, there's going to be more made out of them. Um, but you think about, like, what people are watching and why. Um, what are people saying about these films that they're watching? Look at Avatar Way of Water, for example. Um it made a lot of money in the box office. It was a very long CGI heavy movie. Um, cost a lot to make. And it cost a lot to make. And it was 12 years in the making. I think it was 12. Yeah. Uh, anyway, somewhere in my 
took forever. Um, not very well written. <laughs> I watched it. I, I, I think it was a disappointment in that factor. Like, okay, you can only impress people with visuals, which the visuals in Avatar Way of Water were fantastic. They rightfully won an Oscar for them. Um, again, though, you can't write on that. And yet, when you look at, you know, like, everything ever all at once where yeah the visuals are really cool but what people are really talking about is the acting and the story and the fact that it is just so weird and there's nothing like it that we want more stuff like this or the rise of a24 you know that studio a24 um where it's not you know all about the visuals the superhero just trying to give you a popcorn flick it's trying to make films and support filmmakers that want to make you think or at least show something different people are starting to notice that more it's starting to be more available i think yeah you're right people wanted to go you know have talked about the iron claw and have enjoyed the a24 films because they sort of feel like films like they feel like like what movies used to feel like right where it's like we're going to tell this story the most important thing in this movie is the story are the characters. And it's not all of the other stuff. Like you mentioned that with avatar, it's everything, but the story, uh, the story is secondary. You start to get these paper thin plots and these pay and, and, and sort of weak dialogue. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that all the time, because there is a place for formulaic movies. Like I, I like the Mission Impossible movies. It's not like they're full of amazing plot points or anything like that. Or same thing with uh, the Fast movies. I don't think they're fantastic either, but they're form- they work. And formulaic action movies of the '90s. I still love Speed. I still, you know, I still love Point oh, yeah. Break. We're gonna we're doing Point Break on the pod here in a couple of weeks. Like, I love those films, and it's like it's okay. There's a time and a place for those. But I need, on top of those, I need the Iron Claw. I need real movies that are being produced with, like, real real thought and real creativity. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's just also a matter of exposure. Like, um, movies that are being shown in, you know, at the Toronto Film Festival. Uh, uh, you know, they're, they're not just being shown at the Toronto Film Festival and people are being able to... Um, are able to see these films outside of it and being exposed to that, um, which I think is great. Like, like I think we're entering a new age of cinema post pandemic that started to build up before the pandemic, you know, with the, I think with end game Avengers end game, that's when things started to go. Yeah. The beginning um, of the end. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> like, and I think that's exciting. I think there's like an adage, like every 20 or so years is a new age of cinema. That's kind of a rule of thumb idea. Um, and I think because it's generational, like what did you grow up with versus what did I grow up with versus so on, so on and so forth. Um, yeah. And what are our values with each generation? Um so with that said, I think you're right in that I think we do need a balance. We do need the formulaic. We do need the 
popcorn movie. You we know. need the good guy, bad guy. You yeah. know, we need that story a little bit, right? We need it. Like, I think people, there's a reason why that stuff works. There's a reason yeah. why it works. And I'll say it too, like, we do need the CGI stuff. And like, I could say a whole thing about how we should treat CGI artists in Hollywood, VFX artists. Oh, my God. But don't bank entirely on, you know, CGI super long movies. It's not good if it's not long kind of idea because, I mean, we've seen that in spades where that is not true. There are plenty of movies that are like a two hour, even a two fifteen, two and a half even, that are good. That are, Yeah, very good. So... Yeah. Oh, your cat. My, my cat's chewing on something. Frig. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, have cats. I get this. The cats don't come in the studio with me because I worry about them clawing on stuff when I'm working. It's crazy. I know. Uh, um, so go, to bring back to the original point, do you think that we will see a return of mom and pop small small theaters? Maybe even drive-ins because I saw that people went to a Taylor the Taylor Swift era's concert was at a drive-in this uh, this fall or whatever and people flipped out thought it was amazing went to it they sang like it was an actual concert uh, those kinds of things do you see a return like a Back to the Future kind of thing in those areas or no do you not see that um I don't know I think that. Firstly, small theaters have and always will exist. But I mean, like any business, they're going to attract a certain clientele. Like if you go into Minneapolis, there are multiple um, smaller theaters that don't just necessarily show these blockbuster type films. They'll show smaller films. They'll show indie films. They'll show, you know, they'll do like a midnight showing of a Studio Ghibli film. And yes, it's pronounced Ghibli, not Ghibli, internet. Okay. Um, <laughs> but my wife will agree with you on that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, or Art House, um, Walker Art Center, you know, where it has the Spoon Bridge and Cherry, the Sculpture Garden. Um, that has a cinema uh, component to it where it will show Art House films. Um, with that said, um, what theaters I think would benefit from doing is you know really showing they have to be different from streaming in some capacity there will always be that audience that will say i'll just wait until it goes on streaming um and a number of factors have to play into that um for example um longer wait times between it being in theaters to when it goes into onto streaming. Yeah. Just like um, the old days when it used to come out on DVD or VCR or whatever mm-hmm. it was, right. That would be like a six month lag or a three month lag or something like that. Yeah. And yes, it's more inconvenient and it's, 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 a uh, you know, Oh, why don't I, I want to watch it now. Then go to the theater, support your theater. Okay. <laughs> um, there you go. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, there's an answer for that. Just go. Yeah. Not a bad thing. Uh, let me ask you this too. Cause one of the big parts of the AI, uh, the uh, strike of recent ones was the idea of AI, yep. uh, AI in film, things like that. I'm wondering, like, is that something you are concerned about as well? Do you see more a, cause the idea, like this came up in rogue one 
first time I ever saw this kind of thing play out, right, was in Rogue One. There's a guy who's been long dead playing a pretty major part in a film. Yeah, like a deep Do you see – yeah, I mean it was – unbelievable because it felt like it was real like it felt like he was in the film i didn't know like i couldn't tell it apart i thought he was really in the movie um do you see more of that is there a chance that we could see like actors being reincarnated basically through ai to be in movies you know bringing like a like a uh basically redoing the godfather and just not changing out marlon brando like just keeping him in the spot Mm. do you see that or no so I think what you're talking about of um specifically about deceased actors, I think that's a Pandora's box. I don't think that's going back in. Once that technology has been uh used in film, that's going to be a standard. Um with that said, what I am concerned about um you know, these are real people or were real people if they're deceased. Um, utilizing someone's likeness um, in perpetuity. Um, you think about someone like, and this is not movie related. This is just general dead person, celebrity. Prince, when he yes. died, his estate, it became a whole big thing i used to work at an appraisal firm where we saw that kind of thing yeah of like we have to settle this thing for this deceased person and it won't michael jackson same deal like you have to protect these people's identities and their possessions and their you know everything so um you know I, I think that would have to be included in the conversation more um, if you're going to do that. Um, you can't just have Carrie Fisher on the screen without someone vouching and saying, yeah, it's okay. But the problem is not every celebrity when they die is going to have like people that are, you know, in, in their best interest necessarily. Um, you know, so there's that. Unscrupulous movie studios too, right? In the sense yeah. that they're like, well, yeah. we owned her image in this movie and we owned her face and her voice. Why can't we just run that through our AI, you know, machines and just recreate it? Why can't we do that? We own it. And mm-hmm. I guess I can't argue with that, but it just doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. And the other thing, one of the things that the actors were striking and trying to fight for protection um, in regards to AI is background actor faces. Yeah, I saw that. That was a big deal. And that, in my opinion, is a worse offense than using the likeness of a dead person. Um, Because background actors, that is, of course, if you're a studio exec, you would think, oh, that's much cheaper much easier much more efficient da, 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 da. but you are taking away that person's chance to network in hollywood to gain work in a town by the way that is already extremely hard to live in financially true um like let's true. just be real um and you know you think about like stock images you know like people are giving consent to like yeah I will 
being a stock image, a stock photo, and this, you know, people can use my likeness wherever. Um, but with a background actor, um, you're like, yeah, even a stock image. I, I'm not trying to separate. Yeah, you can't own a person's likeness forever and ever and ever. Yeah, it's it's hard right? to argue that, right? That you okay, no. we cast him in one movie, now we get him for twenty five. Like that doesn't work. Like no. I I I've never understood that logic, but it seems to be something that is out there. It's a little it's a little scary, right? The AI world is still like it's so unknown still. But the more you learn about it, the more you're like, I see value, I see great value in it, but I also see scary stuff, right? I see stuff that could be problematic. I the issue with AI for me. Is just, uh, you know, when you're using it to replace creators. Um, yeah. Because nothing, AI can never produce original work. It's always using work from, you know, things that has been fed to it. Yeah. And what is that going to do to art in general? Like, yes, the entertainment industry is a business that needs to make millions and billions of dollars. But... These aren't just things that are products. These are going to, it's a part of our culture. It's a part it's of our, our art, yeah. human experience. And we're not just making movies to make money. We're making movies to tell stories, to tell our stories. Um, and I think that we should, just as, I don't want to say as a society, that sounds so pretentious, but like seriously, we should make an effort to protect our right to tell stories to a mass audience. And, you know, there's with, with new technology, this is just the same old song and dance. When the internet came about, when the, you know, uh, I don't even know. Like, But I think AI is so much smarter than we ever thought possible, yeah. right? Like, it's like the Jetsons happening right now. I mean, but even the Jetsons couldn't predict that, uh, they could go ahead and take our voices right now and recreate the Tim and Allison podcast here with with a fake voice, you know, and and, mm -hmm. and keep the same whatever. Like, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Did you? I mean, no. You no, probably did see it coming. Yeah, you you probably I, saw it coming. Now, work, here's the thing. It's it, so what's what's weird is just I don't think we as as people know how to utilize AI. No, um, we don't. One of the so uh, an AI situation that I have followed. So I like to listen to the band Duran Duran. In fact, I'm wearing a shirt of theirs right now. I went to see them in concert last year. They're from the <laughs> '80s, you know. These people, they're 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 biggest. Hungry like they're, the wolf. Yeah, it's oh one gosh, of my all timers. Yeah. It's a banger. They're still making. They're still making music. God bless them. Um, and one of the things that made them make them so great as a band is that they they've always tried to be innovative in some way shape or form with their art not just even with their music but, the, but with their image they're really really big with the mtv time they really they knew were big to, yeah huge mtv band for sure people love yes. duran duran in the 80s oh yes oh yes now recently um so this past october they released an, an all halloween album and the you know 2021 their album prior um they did this same thing um 
2021, they released an album called Future Past, where one of their singles called Invincible had a music video made entirely with an AI called Huxley. And they mm. prefaced the music video with this, this pretentious message, like, we're melding the brain of this, you know, like, we're creating something amazing. Like, shut up. Okay. Um, <laughs> and you watched the music video. And it's very uncanny valley. All the people are like black eyed demons and then juxtaposed with images that are like Monet, but not Monet. And it's like this AI didn't know what it was doing. There was no artistic value to it in the sense of like intention of why it was doing what it was doing. It was just spitting out something that it was fed. And and here Duran Duran is saying it's 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 a innovative it's an and it's like no it is what it is it looks like garbled whatever and it doesn't add anything to the actual song it's not related to the song that's my opinion um, now moving on to the Halloween album that they did that I mentioned they did the same thing with their music video for their lead single Dance Macabre. It was like the same substantive quality of like one of those concert background videos that you see yeah, when they're playing yeah. and performing. I don't know if just, I love that either. I kind of kind of hate that. It's like there was, and people in the comments are like, "Oh my gosh, this is like amazing." It's like no, it looks like it was made by an AI who was trying to copy paste. Other people's artwork, by the way, it was learning from that. Yeah. To create something that did not, it looked like it was made by a Tim Burton situation studio, whatever. <laughs> and okay, fine. But it didn't add anything to the, but now you just juxtapose with another single from that album, Black Moonlight, which did have an original music video, which was Duran Duran's getting a lot of free, free pub here. A lot of free yes. pub for Duran Duran on our podcast today. This is they huge are. for them. Huge for them. <laughs> huge. That music video was great. It was like, okay, intention. Anyway, I went on about Duran Duran, but it was all about AI. You know, it was yes. all connected, right? Okay. Yeah, it all comes back around. Sure, it does. It's great. I don't want uh, you to replace my heart. I'm sorry. No. I don't think it should. And that's what does scare me a little bit. It, it, it scares me that, you know, you know, Ryan and I have talked about this too in other podcasts where you feel like we're going to be in a world of just – Everybody's wearing, you know, the same clothes and everybody, you know, listens to the same AI generated music and the same AI generated movies. And you're just going to have a bunch of robots, basically. And mm-hmm. uh, it's um, it's crazy. Uh, it's it's a very it's it, I mean, I know that that gets kind of, you know, you know, a little doomsday, a little 1984, a little just I mean, I'm not ready to go there, but it, it does feel like we it could feasibly happen within 20 to 25 years. You definitely think it could. Um, I'll throw some rapid fire at you here. Cause again, trying to get to know Allison in the podcast here so that we can get her into the pod, you know, the podosphere, uh, favorite movie, favorite movie, and then favorite movie genre. Favorite movie. Oh my gosh. I can't think of a favorite movie period just off the top of my head, but I don't have like a go-to. I, okay. A go-to, I will say. From just a fun, like good memories, The Big Lebowski. Love I it. love okay. The Big Lebowski. Oh my goodness. One of my um, faves. But I look at like 
I, I, I really liked Mad Max Fury Road when I was in college. I wrote a bunch of papers on that. There was a lot to take out of that. Um, if we look at, um, I guess, films just like, let's look at the Oscars from this past year, the nominees from that. Like, what was my favorite film from that? I would probably say Everything Everywhere All at Once. Mm. I love that movie. I am alone in my household in that demographic. <laughs> my parents watched everything everywhere all at once. And by the second dildo fight, my dad had to turn it off. Yeah, so, I got to say, surprised that the, yeah, the, you know, you don't want to watch that with dad. I, I think that's a weird spot for, I don't, not a dad. I can't speak to it, but I'd have to assume that I don't know if I could watch a film with my daughter and have there be multiple dildo fights. I just think I have rules on that. I have very strict rules about those things. I don't think they work. So but favorite I mean, genre of films, favorite genre, genre, favorite genre. I would probably have to say, um, the, you strike the, me as a horror movie fan. I do I do like horror. I like dark and gritty kind of like I'll watch a thriller. Yeah. I'll watch a good crime um, thriller. Yeah. Oh my gosh, anything David Fincher's good. Um I also like that kind of experimental idea. Like I almost said science fiction. Um mm. I, I again um I, I couldn't pinpoint on a specific... There's so many films out there that I want... So many on my watch list. I have a whole big old watch list of things I want to see. And it's overwhelming. <laughs> like So that, that brings me to this. Have you watched a movie based on peak cinema? Have you have we done a movie that you haven't seen? That you were like, oh, I need to go watch that. I do want to watch The Warriors. I've heard of things about The Warriors. So I... You I, haven't seen The Warriors? Okay. Not yet. All right. Not yeah, yet. Okay. Gotta see but it. I, yep. Gotta gotta go watch it. I heard good things about it, so putting a pin on it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's that's cool. You have this big watch list. Where do you uh, favorite actor? Favorite actor? Favorite actor. I'm You'll really watch liking, anything this actor does. I'm really liking Florence Pugh. Yeah, you and Lauren. You two should get together because man, I, you two are big on Florence Pugh. Yeah, I think she's. I watched um, "Don't Worry, Darling," and I think that movie uh, left much to be desired, writing wise. But she kept it afloat. She certainly. She's kept got it skills. I, yeah, I, and she's going to be in the upcoming Dune movie, Dune Part Two, as Ooh. Princess Irulan. Yeah. Ooh. Um, I didn't I'm know that. that. I like I like Florence Pugh. Yeah. Least favorite actor. Least favorite actor. Oh man. I will say off the top of my head, I don't have anyone who I'm like, oh my god, I hate them. But Johnny recency Depp. bias is making me say a person who I'm like, I don't love everything that they do on the mm. screen. Oh my god, there are some things that they do that are really annoying on screen. Leonardo DiCaprio. Really? Now, Whoa. I think I think he is a objectively good actor, so I'm not dissing on him. But there are things that he does that are like when he acts angry, there yeah. is a go-to angry <laughs> way he acts. 
He was great in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's a, I, yes. I'm not going to turn the movie off because Leonardo DiCaprio is in it. But there are like you watch it and you're like, there are some things about his performance that make me feel like, oh, he thinks he's so good at acting in this scene. No, this is annoying. <laughs> this is stupid. Like his vein pulls it. He has to like really see the. Oh my god! Like, can you? This is. This isn't good, in my opinion. This is objectively sorry. bad. Yes. <laughs> there are problems about his overall performance vibe. I am. That- I like Leo, but yeah, I, I'm with you on some of this. Like, you're turning me around here a little bit. I'm willing to talk. Johnny Depp has been that guy for me for years. Like, oh, Johnny Depp's okay. in it. Out. Pass. Mm. I I think I'm in the minority, I think. I know a lot of people love Johnny Depp and think he's just kind of edgy and different and out there and Captain Jack Sparrow and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I just, he's not for me. I watched him on 21 Jump Street in the 80s. He's not that good. Like, I've seen it. I've seen <laughs> I, I I had him pegged pretty early in the process. I think I have him have him pretty much dialed in. Um, what are you working on right now? You said you were working on some projects. What are you What are you doing? Um, can you if you can share? If you can share, some of these are very secretive. I know. Yeah, I have to be vague. Yes. Um, but I have a couple of TV shows. One of them I'm developing myself. Like I'm creating this TV show from scratch, and um, I'm I'm going to speak with a producer I I've been working with this past year. Um, when do I get to be in it? That's the key. You have a part for me in it. Um, she laughs. <laughs> like, <yes. laughs> you're funny, Anderson. Like, you're getting a part in my TV show. No, go ahead. Anyway, uh, no. Um, yes, in a movie, I'm going to be working on a movie. Just, I'm excited. I, I can't I can't divulge deeply into what I'm working do you on. Act, do you act or do you more no, like, are I'm you a behind-the-scenes kind of person? I'm you want to be a behind-the-scenes person. Yeah. I want to be behind-the-scenes. Like, again... I did like I do like performing. I was in speech, but darn right you were. Yeah, I loved. Oh, those are good years. I'm excited for this. One of my speeches. Like I said, I love Allison. Allison was one of my all timers. This is what this is so fun for me. I'm excited for the speech season to start up again in a couple of weeks. Now I'm excited. Um, yeah, you're no, a judge. Yeah, she judges. If you want to go out and meet Allison, you got to come to the speech world, become a judge, and maybe you can hang out with Allison because uh, she she'll hold court in between rounds. Oh yeah, I'm. It's fun. I like going to. You'll do script um, but, readings, things like that. Yeah, yeah. I'll, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm a writer primarily. That's my gig, um, and producing ish. I mean, I mean, getting into that world. Um, that's what I'm being approached with. Um, so, um, producing type stuff. That's so fun. The creative aspects. The the more. Um, not to say that every part of, a, of of making a movie is creative of course i'm not trying to but but like the the decision making type of stuff sure and absolutely yeah i'm excited and uh you have- write for and you write your article you have your little you have your article on medium that you put together uh people can yeah. go find you there right you can google yeah and i plan to be more active on medium i have been on and off and i'm trying to be more on you know i've never been a huge content creator I try to get my voice out there and and whatnot, but it's like, you know, I I, I write what I want to write and say what I want to say. But I'm trying to be more active, as I said. And yeah, uh, I get medium that. at Allison Wanchoba. Yeah, go go check her out. She's awesome uh, for that stuff. Also, where do we get access to all your college films that you made? Like, where can we watch all of those? We got to be able to oh, watch those. Man, I want to see the Allison Wanchoba films. I need I need to see them. 
I need to see how good they are. I'll have to, you know, I have an external. Oh, they're very angsty right now. <laughs> I'm guessing they're very angsty. They're very, you know, they end with with the title Finn at the end of it. Uh, you know, <laughs> just they don't say they don't say the end. <laughs> I'll have to find um, some films I have on a hard drive here and send them to you. Otherwise, I have a lot of like film stock on film films. A couple oh wow, we have, have to get to- the reel to reel out, huh? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, that's um, that's my life. Um, that's so, so cool. Yeah. We're going to conclude with some more football talk here at the end. I'm yes, glad we got please. a chance to talk movies with you. This was I wanted to ask you all these movie questions because I know you're just a, you're you're plugged in on this stuff. So I had all of this stuff kind of cooked up and I know that that I threw in a million different directions. But, hey, you're, you're the best for that. Oh, um, thank you. Yes, I appreciate it. I want to speak more about film and future. Episodes. Absolutely. We will yes. definitely get you on. Doa, let me ask you about, uh, you've made a point. You uh, you seem to be very pro-labor in the football world. Uh, you had an issue you said to me about the fines are out of control. Like the the, the fining of the players, it's, it's out of control. It's too much. Uh, I'll give you the floor on that. And you said okay. that the league's also officiating poorly. Talk about that. Because I've been, I've, I've, I'm the one who takes the bullets for the referees on this podcast, as you know. So go ahead. <laughs> There's a lot of things I want to talk about football. But yeah, um, so the fine thing, I watch a YouTube channel called That's Good Sports run by a guy I've named seen that, Brandon yeah. Perna. He's a Broncos yep, fan. Um, and he put out a video recently um, titled jokingly um the nfl doesn't allow you to tackle anymore um or something like that (laughs) yep i saw that video and that's what initiated this kind of thought in my mind about you know the nfl is not uh it's no secret that the nfl tries to milk out as much money as it can from any avenue that it can um finding players to the degree that it's doing now i think it's getting worse like you know uh, in the video that i mentioned the amount of fine money that the nfl was receiving by week 11 was as much as it had gotten in the whole entire season prior like upwards of 15 million at least wow and you have to think about a few things like why are these fines increasing to the degree that they are? Is it really for player safety? Is it for the integrity of the sport? I think it's a mixture of a lot of these things. Like, yes, player safety. Yes, we want to make sure that people are playing by the rules. But at the same time, especially being that I think there's less consistency um in officiating um you have to wonder if there's an external like a quiet part kind of like a more devious uh thing at work here do you think yeah and i don't want to put any uh conspiracy theories out there ryan loves that stuff go ahead i I don't want to i don't want to be there i don't want to be in that camp of oh yeah they're but i mean like we have to call a spade a spade and say this is a billion dollar industry you know we can't say that they're all doing this out of the goodness and safety of you know like of course they're in it for money um we can't ignore that so i don't know 
So you think they're so yeah, fifteen million dollars in fines. I had no idea. Uh, I don't even know where those fines go, to be perfectly honest with you. And if that's the case, is it like a tax almost like on the players as a way for them to like siphon extra revenue back away from the players? It's very interesting. Uh, and you're right. I guess I haven't noticed that the fines are getting bigger, but I do think because they don't report every fine, you yeah, know, no. but they're, you know, they're fining. I think Tyree Kill talked about how he got fined for like his socks being too low or something like that. He got hit with like a $5,000 fine, which hey, whatever, but like that seems like, again, a little excessive, right? Maybe that used to be like a $50 fine or a $500 fine, but to, for that to get into the thousands seems a little silly. Yeah, and um, so to go off on that video that I mentioned, the Brandon Perna video, I mean, he, he mentioned Brandon's that- getting some love here too. I know, <laughs> I know. He mentioned that um, that fine money, according to the NFL, would go into like, you know, helping out, former NFL players with their health care and such with their CTE and everything, these programs that they have available, but then it, it becomes a matter of like, okay, this is health care that if you let the players keep that money, they would have, they wouldn't need to outsource it to these programs and get help. It's kind of like with veterans, you know, like uh, if you really care, it is no secret that NFL players are they're given exorbitant amounts of money and then when they leave the league so many players lose so much money they get into financial hardship that's true no that's very true you do because you're giving 18 20 year olds millions of dollars and their average career is going to be three years so you give a kid who doesn't have a developed prefrontal cortex you know that kind of money who to be fair, if you give someone even with a developed prefrontal, someone like me, you, someone who's an adult, that much money. Some would argue I don't have a developed prefrontal cortex, <laughs> but some, some no. would argue that. I would try to disagree, but That's some would argue too that. much. Who would know what to do with that money? Yeah, especially when they got all their friends. Money. You got to, you know, you got to take care of your friends. Got to take care of mom. Got to take care of dad. Yeah. Got to take care of everybody. And before you know it, you don't got anything left. You gotta be like good documentary for you called at broke home has his mom you know doesn't have rent to pay yeah you know? anyway. it's tough but you know and the other part of it it does feel like a tax because you think like part of the collective bargaining agreement is that the owners are paying for this retired players health care and pension and like that's all part of the revenue stream and the idea that they're siphoning off the money from the players to kind of take away a cost that they were accruing or that they was supposed to be like a shared accrual is seems to be a little bit. That's where I think some shady stuff comes into play. Like that's a yeah. dicey deal. I think that yeah. something that they need to maybe answer for at some point, it's going to be a conversation piece for sure. Do you like 17 weeks? Are you a fan of the 17 week season? I don't mind it. Um, I think that, you know, if you're going to add more weeks though, I think it would make more sense to add it at the beginning of the season instead of the end. Um, like So like I, less know, preseason started earlier? Maybe less preseason or, yeah, no, to not get it so deep into February because at this point it's like we're at week, we're going on to week 17 and 
we're hitting New Year's Eve kind of area of um, we're all we're all in that wind down kind of period just collectively, including football. Um, and I frankly, I think I see it in the players as well. You know, um, we you talked about the Chiefs Raiders game uh, in the previous episode of this podcast with uh, Ryan and Zach about. Um, you know, the Chiefs losing the way they did and all of that. Um, I think a part of it also has to do with the fact that the Chiefs do not seem to me like a team that when they're down and out, they know how to get back up. I mean, you say, oh, well, they're an elite team. Oh, they, they, um, they can overcome obstacles. That's how they get to this point of being elite, of being two-time Super Bowl winners with Patrick Mahomes, that kind of thing. But it's like, yeah, but okay, you lose to the Eagles, right? Yeah. And that begins this kind of slump where now you're losing to the Packers. Now yep. you're losing to the Raiders the way that you did. Now, granted, they're a divisional rival, but still... And it's, it's the like, whole late in the season thing, right? I mean, and they're front runners. Like, it's kind of giving me the vibe. And you see it with the Eagles, too, in fairness, where, you know, these teams where they lose once and they're like, how do we get our mojo back? Yeah. You know, I think that's a factor. And of yeah. course, there are multiple factors, you know, like, you know, the Chiefs having troubles with receivers, of course, of course. But, you know... Last a couple weeks ago, when they were playing the Bills, the Chiefs, they had that big story with Patrick Mahomes melting down and blaming yeah. the refs. And that stupid melt, that meltdown was not just because of the offsides refs thing. Let's just be clear on that. That was also losing to the Packers. That was also having receivers having it was a mountain. And it was yeah. a volcano that exploded. And the refs happened to be the target. And and Patrick Mahomes got a lot of crap for it, understandably so. I think he died on a hill that he shouldn't have died on. I'm going to be real. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And we can – obviously, no, the refs haven't always will be – you know, a point of contention amongst fans, amongst players. There will always be bad calls. Because it's easy to blame them. It's easy to blame referees. 100%. Yes. yes. That also happened to be the call that they were right on. And you can argue if that call should even no, be No, it's the right call. call. 100% it's the right call. No, no, I'm not arguing with that. But, like, do we even care? Should we even care about offsides kind of stuff? I think we should. Yes, we but should, have- Allison. <laughs> But we have are- to fight about this. You and I will fight if we need to. We, I don't care if you're 6-1. I'll, I'll, I'll fight you on this one. But, no, I mean, like the Kadarius Tony, obviously that was egregiously offsides. Yeah. But if you're going to nickel and dime calls, hmm? if they're a little bit off, if they, I, I think it's understandable to be like, when do we how strict should we be about calls like that i think i think that's a point but that's a whole i do think the league is over officiate or over legislated i don't even think over officiated because i think you put the refs in a position where they have to make these calls uh but i have said on this podcast before that i think the league is over legislated i think Mm -hmm. that too many people since they you know they got they got hosed by a call the year before they're like oh it's a bad rule bad call let's change the rule 
And it's like, well, now we've got 200 rules, you know, when say, I know there's probably more than 200 rules, but let's just say we used to have a hundred rules and now we have 200 rules. And it was like, well, maybe we have legislated too much. Like maybe we could do without, you know, 50 of those rules or, you know, some of them are good. Some of them are really good changes, horse collar tackles, things like that. But like, some of them are like, eh, you know, you got to let them play a little here too, right? I mean, I don't know how you stop some of that stuff. I think it also has a matter to do with um, consistency. Like if you have too yep. many rules for refs to keep track of, then it leaves room for instances to be ignored. Like, Again, if we look at the offsides call for Kadarius Tony on the Chiefs, that was a very clear violation of the offside situation. Yep. But then you have to be consistent with offsides. You put yourself That's in that true. position. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, no, it's true. You got to call it every time if you're going to do it once. Exactly. And if you call like um like this is a catch, but this isn't a catch. This is pass interference, but this isn't. Oh, but th- at this point, you called this pass interference, um, and then you didn't call it this time, but it was the same exact player, the same exact instance. Again, being consistent and being clear to the rules, what is pass interference, what is what are, what are these rules and what aren't these rules? I think that's the thing that we need to boil down to. Not just the amount of rules, but what are the rules? You can't be so piddly and little and like this is and this isn't that it leaves fans and players and coaches up to trying to argue. Yeah. It has to be definitive. I, would, I continue to argue that and I grew up in the 90s. You didn't. Uh, I know that this is a little before you, but I'm just going to say it again. The product was better when they hit harder, when it was way more physical uh, I felt like there were less injuries. And if there were big injuries, I mean, they, I mean, big injuries are always going to happen and you can't legislate big injuries out of the game. It's a physical game. Guys get hurt. But I also felt like guys were less hurt because I think they, I, I they went with, they, they played at a hundred percent and not like worried about, Oh, do I, how do I, not you know, like I got to make Pickens sure I hit this. Yeah. Hand. <laughs> yeah. You got to make sure that like, I, to me, it was like, everybody knew signed up for it. They said, it's a physical game. We're signing up for it. We're going to get hit. Let's be ready for that. And uh, I just feel like there's more passing and I think less guys get hurt when they run, which is why high schoolers, you know, sometimes high school teams can play a whole year without getting a lot of guys hurt. Because back in the day, high schoolers would just, you know, run wing T and triple I, and they would run, 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 run. And it's a lot easier to run and run block and be a running back than it is to pass 50 times and pass block. You get rolled up on every, you know, two or three plays in, in passing. Uh, and they played on horrible turf. Like everybody whines about the turf and the grass. I'm like, guys, they were playing on literal carpet. 30 years ago, like literally carpet uh, and concrete underneath the carpet. And guys played whole careers on that. So like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm off here on some of this stuff. So I just think that we've, we've taken hitting, we've legislated all of that stuff out. And I think as a result, we've got guys who like, when they get hit are like, Oh, I don't, my body's not used to that. I don't know what to do uh, with that kind of violence that has come towards me. It's like, Man, I watched guys get hit way harder than that 30 years ago and pop right back up. Mm. Go watch some YouTube from the 90s and the 80s. And see what <laughs> yeah. see what you think about that. I mean, to that so, point, 
we are more cognizant of what happens when those guys get hit as hard as they do because, you know, these guys who were hit 30 years ago, look at them now. That's true. They have knee issues, whatever. Okay. With that said, you know, talking about injuries and talking about the quality of the product you can't not talk about this season in particular being especially like I don't want to say mediocre, but it does I would argue feel it like is. with with all of these backup QBs, which again, if you're hurt, you're hurt. I mean, put in a backup. QB, it's going to make the product overall feel like okay. The stories that we're grasping onto is the fact that Tommy DeVito lives in his basement with his mom. The stories that we're grasping onto is Josh Dobbs having a degree in rocket science. Okay. These are the stories that we are having to latch onto to sell jerseys and such. And it's like, you know, these are not long-term. Like, look at Jake Browning of the Bengals. Of, yeah. um, oh my God, he was so hot. He was so hot with all this. Uh, um, He won, what is it, three games in a row? It, it was like Jaguars... Anyway, um, he's winning them in like overtime. One yeah. of the games, to his to his credit, was like you know a decent win. It wasn't, yeah, you know. But but like when he said, "Oh, you shouldn't have cut me. You shouldn't have cut me." They kept calm down. You won by a <laughs> field goal in overtime. Cool your jets, like. And then the next week, he they lose to the Steelers. You know, like. Got killed by the they, Steelers, too. Oh, God, yeah. They really did. And you just see Joe Burrow on the sidelines just <laughs> with his busted <laughs> wrist. You know, I was thinking when that happened in the Ravens game, Joe Burrow grasping, like, oh, my God, if he were ambidextrous, this would be over. He wouldn't. Is that what they need to start developing? They need to start developing ambidextrous quarterbacks who can, you know, all oh, the right hands hurt. No problem. Got the left. I know, because I mean, like, that's the only thing stopping Joe Burrow from getting back on the, like, you could argue, like, you don't want to. And Justin Herbert. You don't, uh, with a broken finger? Yeah, like, if if you're, here's the thing, I understand not wanting to bring these guys in for further injury to whatever injury they have. Okay, absolutely, sure. But um, as far as usability of these quarterbacks, like, you're... They're they're millions of dollars worth. Uh, that's an investment that you're. Putting yeah, you on can't can't throw them out there. And if you're going to um, say, oh, they they have a broken finger, completely unusable for the rest of the season, which by the way also hurts um, a team's chances of getting tickets back in. Because let's say um, let's say Patrick Mahomes gets hurt. Or Josh Allen, or and I'm using these bigger names because they're huge. They're the only ones that are still upright. Well, they're the only ones that are still standing. Yeah, it affects viewership and it affects you know fan attendance. Um, you're seeing it with the Bengals. Like you're seeing it with the Vikings. Like Kirk goes out and it changes the entire tenor of the season. Right, you go from feeling like you're in it. To now it's like, oh, Jesus, how are we just going to scrape by and make the playoffs here? And it's it's tough. Well, on that point, like, I mean, if anything, the Vikings are, it's kind of a blessing in disguise that Kirk Cousins is out because we're seeing like what 
a Kirk Cousins-less team looks like. And I know that I'm not the only one saying that, but... I mean, we were heavy with the turnovers before Kirk Cousins was hurt. So I don't know. I mean, but Kirk Cousins... But you kind of need him. Yeah, you need him, though. Yeah. Yeah, he's been... I agree. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, we talked about this last night on the pod that I don't know... You know, like, I don't know. I don't know if you can pay everybody. It's just, it's so hard. I don't, I mean, I get it. If we pay Kirk, we pay and we keep him. I get it. Cause there's not a lot of these guys. There's just not, the league mm-hmm. is very deficient at this position right now. And they need, they need guys. And he's one of the 15 guys in this league that are decent that you can count on. And so like kind of got to take care of him. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a weird spot to be in for sure. I uh, I don't envy them uh, as we go forward. Uh, no question. Who wins the Super Bowl? We might have you on before the Super Bowl again, but but like just off the top of your head, who do you like? Who do I think will win the Super Bowl? So that's interesting because this has been a really weird year. And if there's yeah, any, I think ten if teams going win to it. be a Super Bowl that's going to be unpredictable, and who's going to win it? It's this Super Bowl. If we're going the predictable route straight shooting i'm personally going to say the 49ers even though here's why they lost i thought you were going to go bold there and say like i'm going to take the cleveland browns no, i thought no. you were going to well, go big there oh we'll get into unpredictable what i want what i think predictable. <laughs> so the super bowl preview that happened on christmas night was between the ravens and the 49ers the ravens won Yep. And what I see is whenever one team up against, you know, like really good teams, when they win, the other team tends to learn from their mistakes, learn what that other team does. So when they are faced with a matchup, they're better prepared and they might do an upset. We saw that with the Chiefs Eagles game, you know, that was a Super Bowl rematch, uh, you know, and they the Eagles beat the chiefs. Um, you're more, I, I, I think it would be kind of hard pressed to see the Ravens beat the 49ers again at such a high level, especially like the Ravens last time they were at the super bowl. 49ers were at the super bowl more recently than the Ravens. Like well, I think didn't true. they play each other in the last time they were in the Super Bowl? No, you're right. No, because they the the Niners lost to the Chiefs. You're right. That's right. Because yeah. they played each other in like what was it, 16 in the Harbaugh Bowl, and then yeah. uh, and then they played. Uh, then the, yeah, you're right. Then Kyle Shanahan got there with the Chiefs or with the against the Chiefs and lost in the 2020 Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. As I like to call it, the last time things were normal, uh, you know, or even half decent in this country, because uh, we had Shakira at halftime with J Lo. I mean, how do you beat it? It was such a great game. It all went with to crap from said, there. With that all said, if things are going to go unpredictably, like it, it isn't the Ravens and the 49ers in the Super Bowl. I think it's anyone's game. I really do. And if I were going to just, like, you know, sky's the limit, wouldn't it be fun? We're just playing in the sandbox here. I don't think it will happen, but I think it would be really fun to see the Lions in the Super Bowl. Mm. 
I think that would be fun. Like I, they, they've lost the bears. They've lost. As a Vikings fan, it would hurt my feelings. Yeah, I, because we've I, been we've been better than them for thirty some years. And they just roll out of bed and make a Super Bowl. We can't get a sniff. I mean, it's so bad, you know. I mean, but at the same time, like, you, okay, to quote RuPaul, uh, you're done already had hers if you win a Super Bowl. <laughs> like, just get your Super Bowl and then go back to sucking. You know what I mean? I would just just. First time RuPaul's been quoted on this podcast. I want you to know that. You have brought something very interesting to the pod here, Allison. I didn't expect that. There we go. We got it. I think Detroit in the Super Bowl would be a great story. That would be a good story. It would be a great story, and that's the thing. This season has been, in my opinion, deficient on good stories. We've been supplementing the stories, and it's made for an interesting season, but not good. Another Super Bowl... You know, and this is more, this would be more of a comeback kid story than the Detroit Lions. Just looking at the season would be the Bills. If the Bills. Oh, yeah. That would be interesting. And frankly. A Bills-Lions Super Bowl would be really fun to watch, wouldn't it? Like somebody's got to win one. It would be a first time ring for either franchise. Oh, my God. That would be exciting. Again, I don't think it'll happen. And your um, bills, your bills fandom would be—you uh, couldn't hide it. I mean, you would be in a Josh Allen jersey. You'd probably throw yourself through a table before the Super Bowl started. I mean, it would be pretty intense. And God bless them. I—it'll be interesting. <laughs> it'll be interesting how they play against the Dolphins, how the Bills play against the Dolphins. But um, to be fair, I—I I think that the Bills are a very aggressive team and. I want to talk to you really briefly about, you know, coaches, about how, okay, Bill Belichick looks like his time in the, you know, New England is going out. Where would he go next? You played around with the idea of Buffalo. Yeah. Now I see where you're coming from because I think that Bill Belichick is one of those coaches who would put a team to shape. He would whip them to shape, you know? Yeah, wants a tough guy team, kind of. He's one of those coaches. With that said... I think the Bills, they are a team that really does well when their morale is up, when there is firepower, because they have yeah. the weapons. But when they're depleted, when, when Josh Allen's on the sidelines, like looking like he's got PTSD, um, <laughs> staring off into space because uh, they miss a field goal, you know. A thousand so yard so- stare, yes. Uh, then you, I mean, like, then you get that slump. Okay. But then you, but then you bring in someone like, um, get Ken Dorsey off. Then that firepower is back. And then you see Josh Allen just mowing through guys into the end zone or James Cook just having a killer game against the Cowboys. Like you see that. And the fact of the matter is, I don't think Belichick is your firepower guy. No way. You might be onto something there. I don't think he would bring the firepower, and I think he would be a detriment, in fact, for the Bills for that You might be right. And because they have a defensive guy now too, right? McDermott's already there. It's like if they're going to change, they're going to change to an offensive guy. Oh, yeah. Especially for your weapons. 
especially if all your weapons, the real money on that team is in your offensive players. It just feels like they've never like really hired an offensive guy to be the coach. You just look at all their coaches, um, with the exception of maybe Mike Malarkey, who didn't last at all. And by the way, he's a boring ass offensive coach anyway. Um, (laughs) But like everybody they've hired has been uber conservative, defensive, tough guy, And like hiring a crazy offensive minded coach feels out of the box for them. Doesn't feel like what they would do, but it almost feels like that's what they'd have to do if they moved away from McDermott. You might be right about that. Although Belichick's got got stature. And if you can get stature, why wouldn't you do that? I don't know. I would take Bel if Belichick wanted to coach the Vikings, I like KOC. I'd fire KOC tomorrow and hire Bill Belichick for two years. I would do it. Really? I I would because it's that guy. I get it. I get coaching immortality. Like, you let me take what? my You're chances also with a that. Patriots fan, so okay. I am a Patriots fan, so I that's not that. fair too. Yeah, because um, us Patriots you- fans are, you know, we're classy and dignified. We don't, uh, we don't set things on fire and throw people through tables, and you know, we don't do that sort of thing here. We just, we just win in New England. How do you think do. about KOC? I think he's. Uh, I mean, I think people are harder on him than they should be these last few weeks. Uh, he's a young coach. He's younger than me. Um, you have to, you got to allow people to grow. And this is one thing that we don't do a very good job of in sports anymore. We used to like, we used to, first of all, we never hired young coaches back in the day, like Mm -hmm. in the nineties. And they just didn't hire 35 year old coaches because they were under the impression that you had to sort of grow into that position. You had to be an assistant. You had to pay your dues. You had to do it for a number of years. And then maybe in your forties, you'd get a chance like your mid to late forties, you'd get a chance. Now it's like, Oh, if you're, if you're young and innovative, you can get hired tomorrow. But the thing is, is that there's a lot of growth that has to happen between being a coordinator and being the head coach, right? It's a lot like, you know, in speech, I think we can we can talk about this to a certain extent. Like, I learned a lot. Well, I learned very quickly. Like, I spent 10 years as an assistant speech coach. Uh, mm-hmm. And I learned from, you know, two very old veteran sage coaches, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I got the head coaching job. And I felt like it took me five years, maybe longer before I really felt like I knew what I was doing, before I felt pretty comfortable in the job, I made a ton of mistakes. In fact, I still make them. You know, I'm year 10. This is year 10 for me. I still, there's things that come up and I'm like, God, I wish I would have done that better. You know, that it's like we're constantly learning and growing. And the different, the good news for me is that I coach speech and nobody gets angry or up in arms when I make mm-hmm. a mistake. But when you're KOC, and you've gone from being an assistant to a head coach. There's a lot of like growth in that process that still has to happen. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to screw things up. And I think like he's learning on the fly a little bit about how to be a head coach. And we have to allow that to happen. We have to allow for that to play itself out over the course of three, four years before we can make any accurate assessments. I think he's a good coach. He schemes well. But he makes mistakes, and and that's something that he's going to have to grow in the job and do, and I think he will. I think he's a good coach. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. Like, uh, I'm with you there. Like, I think I have no problem with KOC. 
Um, yeah. I think that um, his play calling could improve a little bit. But again, it's nothing egregious. I think that, um, you know, I think when, when we talk about young and innovative coaches who you got to see the growth, you have to let them grow. I think about like the Miami Dolphins, Mike McDaniel, who is a yeah. very similar coach in that aspect of like, um, he's young, he's brought on because he's smart. He's got that football mind, you know, offensive mind. Um, and yeah, people like how innovative he is. With that said, his, you know, the Dolphins record different than the Vikings record. Very different. And you say, okay, is that the coaching? Is that, the, obviously it's a combination of everything, but like sure. what KOC doesn't have that Mike McDaniel does is someone like Tua. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so. I would argue I it is health. <clears throat> like last year, Tua got hurt and, yeah. you know, the Vikings had a better record than the Dolphins. Uh, but this year, Tua's healthy. For the most part, his players are healthy. And they've got a better record than the Vikings do. And yeah. so, like, I think they're both really smart. Now, McDaniel carries himself very differently. Like, he's very oh. kind of, like, he's, you know, always, he always reminds me of a guy who's like, man, he just had, like, a 30-gram edible, like, in the last half hour. <laughs> like, a 30-milligram. He is just baked right now. And that's the vibe I get from him. Uh, but it works. Whatever he's doing, all the buttons he pushes, they are the right buttons. This year, that it's been it's been perfect. He's a character for sure. And I think that's going to um, benefit the Dolphins in the long run. Uh, I like I like McDaniel. But um, yeah, and, I do too. At any rate. Um, yeah. So you asked me what about what I think about the Super Bowl this year. Uh, I'll rally the question back to you. What do you think? Whoa, we're switching roles here on the podcast. I thought I thought I asked the question. No, I'm just kidding. This is oh, why yeah. I love having you on, Allison. This is the fun stuff. You know. Uh, we've talked about this on the podcast. We we haven't really actually named a, a Super Bowl team here because we, we do power rankings every week, as you know, but it does mm. feel like that changes from time to time. Uh, I, yeah, I think if you were betting with your wallet right now, you would say it's probably Baltimore and San Francisco to rematch because they just seem like the two best teams by a little bit of a distance. But that being said, do I think the Ravens could get beat in a divisional round? Yes, I do, because I haven't seen Lamar Jackson win a big playoff game yet. And until I do, uh, I'm not ready to go there, just you know, as, as far as we know. Uh, yeah. Brock Purdy. It feels, sorry. Yeah, go it ahead. Feels Keep like going. The, it feels like the elite teams of this season feel kind of, I don't want to say lukewarm because there's the, the performance on Christmas night was certainly a good performance. Very impressive. It doesn't feel like Very impressive. even with an 11-3, I guess it's 12-3 um, record, they're not being talked as much as, I, I don't know if it's me or or what, but it feels like in, in this season compared to past seasons, the really good teams are not getting the kind of excitement from the general public that they used to. Yeah. Um, but again, I, maybe that's just recency bias. I think it's because there's no clear MVP, don't you think? Like, I think that's part of it. There's no sure. clear, yeah, like, oh, this it. guy, 
Because, you know, in past years, you'd have an Allen who's had an amazing year or you'd have a Mahomes and you'd be like, wow, those guys are superstar players. And Tom, for years, it was Tom, Mm -hmm. you know, and this year you look around and you're like, yeah, Lamar's having a good year. Yeah, Dak's having a good year. Yeah, Brock Purdy's having a good year. McCaffrey. They're even putting in like running backs like, you know, Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, Tyree Kill's having a great year in Miami. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but then you're like, but but is anybody blowing your mind? You know, I don't know. So- Mm -hmm. I'm kind of with you. I would love, I think it's those two if I had to bet my wallet. But if you're looking at just trends, like who's looking like a team that I think, I, I think Buffalo is the hottest team in the, in the AFC or one of the hottest teams. Oh, yeah. And Buffalo, if, if the playoffs started today, they'd have to play Kansas City in round one. And I think they'd beat Kansas City, um, which then opens the door to play, you know, either Baltimore in round two or whatever. And I don't, I think they match up okay with both Miami or Baltimore. Um, It'd be fun to see Buffalo get to the Super Bowl. It would be really yeah. fun to see that happen. I I would love it. Having watched them lose four in a row in the 90s, again, before your time, uh, didn't get a chance to experience that like I did. I would love to see, I, I think the NFL would be thrilled if they got a Buffalo-Dallas Super Bowl. Oh, my or God. A, uh, you know, if they got that. I don't think Dallas can do it because I don't think no. Dallas can win on the road. But – do I th- and and but I think they wouldn't hate that because I think they would be like oh Dallas a, a public team people will watch they'll pay attention um, and Bills being kind of the New York kind of that tough guy kind of old school team I think that Blue would collar. be a really good story yep I think San Francisco gives them a nice West Coast option and again a public team people know San Francisco um, one thing I don't think they want honestly though would be like a Buffalo Philly I mean they would do great in New York it'd be a great New York market Super Bowl. Um, but I think the rest of the country would be like, yeah, nah, I'm not, I would, I will tune in just to root for Buffalo and root against Philly. Uh, I don't know what would happen in your house that would get out of control, <laughs> but I, I think a Philly Buffalo Super Bowl would be madness. Oh my um, God. Well, my, when my, um, when the Eagles went to the Super Bowl in 2018, it was kind of a sour note in our house because they beat the Vikings to get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, on our whole field, not, yeah. My dad was not happy with how the Eagles fans treated the Vikings fans. And it was a whole thing. He, he is an Eagles fan for sure, but Vikings fan primarily. It was just a sour, sour. Yeah, it was, it was tough. Well, they beat Tom. I wasn't happy about that. I was pissed. Uh, yeah, Didn't want to lose. But I agree with you on the uh, Bills-Eagles Super Bowl. First off, if I were to just say, as Despite how the Eagles have been playing as of late, I think that you're setting up the Bills to choke in that situation. I don't know. I am. If, I don't know if Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and, and all those guys would go into a Super Bowl like that with the confidence that they would need for something like I think they'd be like, oh my God, we're going against the Eagles. You know, like truth be told. Truth be told. Yeah. That may be I true. I, I think that if you're going to, if anyone's going to beat the Eagles in the Super Bowl, it would have to be a team that has been there before, like a 49ers or something. Oh, a 49ers. No, it couldn't happen. That's 49ers it. Bills well, would be fun. No. 49ers yeah. Bills would be fun. I think. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think that could be fun. And I think Dallas Buffalo would be a lot of fun. 
Dallas mm-hmm. Buffalo would be a fun Super Bowl. You're right. The Lions, if the Lions made it, it would be a great story. I don't know if it would be great for like TV ratings necessarily because I don't know if like that's – Detroit's not like a public team like that. I don't think – Yeah. There's only no, like – I think there's like seven or eight public teams in the NFL where like the entire country will watch if they're there. Uh-huh. Uh, it's like Green Bay, Pittsburgh, Dallas, San Francisco, New England, uh, the Giants – uh, you know, and I, I'm trying to think if there might be a couple others that that kind of sneak in there. To be um, fair, I think the Dolphins are more of a countrywide interest team than. Oh, that's interesting. Bears, Bears would be a public okay, team, I yeah. think too. Like Bears have traditional interest, big city stuff. I, I think there's something there too. Mm. Maybe Denver. Denver might be a public team, mm, but they're not going to yeah. make the playoffs because word is just yeah. breaking, by the way, in the last hour before our pod started. Russell Wilson benched for the rest of the season in favor of Jerry. For the rest Stidham. of the season. Wow. That's what they're saying because I think they're trying to protect the asset a little bit because I think they would you love know what? to trade I think it. I did see that now that I think of it. Yeah, it was benched for someone else. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Do you think he's going to Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know where he's going to go. I don't know where he's going to go. It so. seems apparent that his relationship with Sean Payton is rocky. And I'm not trying well, to be yeah. punny. I'm not trying <laughs> to be punny that it's the Rocky yeah. Mountain State. Um, I didn't even get that until you did that. That yeah, is but, brilliant, Allison. Oh, it's so good. Where do you, Can you write that into your next – write that into your sitcom. Where are you on this? It's brilliant. Oh, anyway, um, yeah, no. We'll I'm, keep an eye on that. Allison, go ahead. Finish up. You got it. The Payton-Wilson dynamic is not good for Denver. That I think we can agree on. Yeah, it's like an abusive relationship. Like you're watching it from a distance and you're like, man, they're not happy. Like they're always arguing with each other. They're so miserable. I wonder what home life's like. You know, it's just awkward. Like you're sitting at the restaurant. You like see them from across the way and you're just like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. Oh, look. Look at the way she looks. Look at the way that they're talking to each other. Like they're not even talking. They're they're eating the soup. Like it's it's they don't even the soup looks angry the way that they're talking. to. That's the way their relationship is. It is frosty uh, for for lack of a better term. Allison, we did an hour and 40 together. This was great. I I love chatting with you. It was so fun. I can't wait. to. uh, Yeah, we get to see each other in person in a couple weeks during the speech season. Um, we'll have to get you back on because obviously I'm going to have a million more film questions and I'm going to have a million more football questions. And uh, we'll find out that you're, well, I'm sure we'll come to find out you love rugby or something like that. And we'll get into that at some point during the season as well. It'll be great. But you are welcome on this podcast anytime, my friend. It was so good to see I you. I really appreciated you putting me on this. I'm I'm always up to speak with you and we'll we'll talk again about when I can get on. I'm, I'm open. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you can find Allison. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, like this week, I mean, we're coming down to the wire with football. Um, oh, hell yeah. Oh, my God. And then playoffs is going to be wild. We'll get you so. on for all of that. Allison, you can find, you can read her stuff at Medium, at Allison Wanchoba. Uh, you can find her. I'm sure she's all over the universe if you want to learn about her projects and things like that. And obviously, after I we'll, we'll peak cinema some of her college films and we'll probably have her on for some of that down the road as well. Because I would love to see the action movie that she created. I'm confident that she did. And uh, we'll, we'll see how that turns itself out. It'll be great. Uh, Allison, once again, thank you for your time. And again, I want to thank you for listening, everybody. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts, please go ahead, subscribe, like, leave a comment, tell a friend. I would appreciate it. Till next time. For Allison, this is Tim saying keep your head up, and we'll see you.